Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. You know, for the past several months, after our governor gave us approval to once again to gather together as a church family, albeit with uh, all the restrictions, my focus has been on how we should deal with these unusual times that we find ourselves living in. There's been a lot of fallout from the stay-at-home order with our economy being halted and of course many new restrictions that have been applied to us and to people in our nation in all walks of life. The truth is we are living in different days right now and I have tried my best to try to bring you biblical truth to help all of us to weather the strange days that, that we are living in. But this morning I am just, I'm excited to kick off a new series titled Made for More. And it's a study from the book of Colossians because we cannot simply continue to dwell on these strange days. We've got to, we, we can't just continue to look forward to the day when things might get back to some semblancy of normalism. We've got to start, as I said last week, living to, for today. We've got to live for the here and now, serving our Lord, remembering what Jesus has, has called us to do and to make a difference for his kingdom. Most importantly, we must remember our identity as followers of our Lord and Savior. And so I want to start out by asking you a question. Have you ever given much thought to your identity? Any concern about how you present or portray yourself to people out there throughout your day? Have you, under, have you ever wondered how people view you or how they perceive you. Your identity is who you are. It is your calling card. It's what sets you apart from all the rest. And truthfully, in the world in which we live, identities are being severely twisted and lines are being blurred. And as a result, people are walking around with no true identity at all. But God created each and every one of us with, with individuality, with uniqueness, with, with distinctiveness, and with our very own personality. And so why is it then that so many people struggle with their identity? Well, for one, many people are trying to be something that they're not, something that God never intended them to be. Another reason is some people like being like a chameleon. They change their colors throughout the day. They're never really committed to any one principle or, or any one philosophy or any one mindset regarding life and how they live it. They just kind of go with the crowd, go with the flow. And here's a bit of truth we've all come to realize. You're going to be identified with a lot of different titles. People are going to call you things and call you names. Some are going to be true, some are going to be false. People will tag us with a variety of, of descriptions. But your true identity is who you are, down to the core of your very being. It's about what you truly believe in. It's about what you stand for. And even more importantly, how it is lived out daily in your life. One thing is for certain, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been given a new identity. The Bible says the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. 
But often as a pastor, I find many believers having a difficulty walking around in their new God-ordained identity. You see, through salvation, we have all been given a change of heart. And that should now translate in a different way to live, in a different way for us to love, in a different way for us to interact with others. And I believe it is essential that every one of us walks boldly and confidently within this new identity that we've been afforded by the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We will get to that in just a minute. But while you're doing that, let me say this. The Apostle Paul does a really good job at pointing out to the people of this church in Colossae on how now to live. He's saying, now that you have received the truth of Christ, you walk a different way. You walk in a new identity. Paul will show us a whole new way of living, which molds our new identity in Jesus. It's an identity that, that, that truly illustrates that indeed that we were made for more than what this world offers us because we serve a God who gives us life, and we serve a God who offers so much more. Paul is writing to the Colossian church to encourage them to stay rooted and to stay grounded in Christ Jesus. Because just like today, they had a lot of false teachers. There was a group called the Gnostics, and they would say, Jesus isn't enough. Jesus wasn't divine. He was just a guy. He was a good teacher, but he was just a guy. They'd say, you need greater enlightenment. There's more divine knowledge out there to be found, and we want to lead you there. But the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, no, no, that's, that is not true. You need to be rooted and established in Christ Jesus. That's all. Christ is enough. And I believe the reason that he wrote this letter to this church is because there's always a threat of complacency in the life of Christians. It's a threat that makes us question whether indeed we are made for more, and it breeds stagnation. You see, there was a neighboring city very close to them called Laodicea. In the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses the different churches, and one of them was the church in Laodicea. And do you remember what his problem was with them? They were lukewarm. Jesus said in Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's clearly saying to them, don't be complacent about your faith. And sadly, unfortunately, that's where many modern-day Christians find themselves. And since Laodicea was a neighboring city, I think Paul wrote to the people in Colossae to say the same thing. In fact, in Galatians 4, 6, he writes this, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So I believe Paul writes them to say, there's a real danger, if you're not careful, of becoming complacent in your faith. But more importantly, Paul offers us a strategy for not becoming complacent, and that is to be rooted and to be established in Christ Jesus, because Christ is enough. 
And he created us for so much more than what this world has to offer. You know, this little letter, this, uh, this epistle, is only four chapters long with about 95 verses. And we're going to spend about nine weeks getting into this. But in order to whet your appetite, I want to take you on a short run through Colossians because I want you to see some of the major themes that are going on inside of this book. In Colossians 1.12, he writes this. He says, Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now that's telling us that when our goodness wasn't enough, when we didn't qualify for the kingdom of God, he qualified us. Then in Colossians 1.15, he talks about the identity and the supremacy of Christ when he writes this, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Then in one verse, chapter 1, verse 27, it says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only did he take us out of darkness and put us into light, which is Christ, but he says that he has taken Christ and he has put him into us. He is the living hope of us living a God-honoring life. Well, then you move into chapter 2, and, and it's all about how we are complete in Christ Jesus. In fact, I think the whole letter hinges on several verses in this chapter. Listen to Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And then in Colossians 2, verse 9, he says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This is the thrust of this entire letter. You are what in Christ? You are complete in Christ Jesus. He is enough. And then in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, he talks about this U-turn. This new, this new life that we have, when he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. And then he talks about taking off the old sinful nature and putting on the new nature of kindness and humility and love and all those other characteristics and virtues and attributes that come along from serving Jesus. In Colossians 3.16, he hits on another major theme. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Then the following verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, then he talks about humility and submission. And in Colossians 4, 6, he writes this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is so that we can make an impact on our world by living a life like Jesus did. So as you can see, when we go through this book, there is, it is loaded 
with truth that followers of Christ must live by, especially in our day. This epistle will point us all toward being what God already views us as, the righteousness of God. And you may say, well, I don't feel very righteous, Pastor David, and I'd say, well, join the crowd. And yet that is exactly how God views us. What we do, how we live our lives, should flow out of who we are becoming. And Christ in you is the hope of a glorious and a God-honoring life. So I want to go back to chapter 1, and I want to start today in this series by pointing out five characteristics that, that help to set this early New Testament church apart from many others. These are also five things that need to mark us here at High Point Assembly and every other kind of prevailing church. And I want to point out something. When you read these epistles, there's usually not a whole lot contained in the greeting or the salutation part of these different letters, but this one is different. And the first thing you see here is how he addresses the people in this church. In Colossians 1-2, he writes this, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He refers to them as the holy and faithful of Christ. So the first characteristic that, 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 mar that, that marks these people in this church is that it was full of people who lived a distinctive lifestyle of holiness. And this must be a characteristic of any effective and prevailing church in the 21st century. These are the kind of people who sing and really mean the words to that song that you might be familiar with. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, O Lord. Let me give you what I believe is a good definition of what holy means and how it applies to us today. Holy means to be set apart for God's exclusive use. When we use the word holy, it doesn't mean we're better or we are superior to anyone else. It means that we are saved by the grace of God and that we are set apart for his exclusive use. Now, unfortunately, in our day, many Christians have become confused. They've confused this being set apart with what I would call living a separate life. The Christians in Colossae were set apart for God's exclusive use, but they were not separate from their culture. And this is a very important distinction that we've got to remember. Notice that they were in Christ, but they were also in Colossae. And likewise, we are in Christ, but we are also in Red Bluff, and we're in Tehama, and we're in Corning, and we're in Redding, and we're in Cottonwood, and so on. We are in Christ, but we are also in Red Bluff High School and also in Shasta College. We are in Christ, but we are also in our neighborhoods and in our businesses. We are in Christ, but we are also in the world. God doesn't want us to live separated from our culture. He wants us to live distinctively within our culture. Why is that? Because if the church is not in our culture, we certainly will not have the ability to influence our culture. Understand, we are not of this world, 
But Jesus did tell us to be salt and light in this world. And in order to do that, we need to be in it. In his book titled, How Now Shall We Live? The late Chuck Colson wrote this. Turning our backs on the culture is a betrayal of our biblical mandate. Nothing could be deadlier for the church or more ill-timed. Americans are groping for something that will restore the shattered bonds of family and community, something that will make sense of life. If the church turns inward now, if we focus only on our own needs, we will miss the opportunity to provide answers at a time when people are sensing a deep longing for meaning and order. Please remember this, as you live distinctively in this world, as Jesus has asked you and I to do, and as this church in Colossae was doing, remember that holiness is not so much measured by what's absent in your life, as it is what is present in your life, that many of us think isn't enough, but it is more than what the world has. I think if the Pharisees taught us anything, it was this, it is possible for us to live a pretty straight-laced kind of a life, a, a don't do this, don't do that kind of a life, and yet not be holy at all. You see, the Pharisees tried to do holy. They didn't want to be holy. The goal for every one of us as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ is that we should all desire to be ordinary people living extraordinary lives in our world because we were made for more. And I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to live. I, I want to be just an ordinary guy who's living in this world, but live in an extraordinary way because I'm surrendered to the Spirit of God in my life. The Holy Spirit alone who can transform me, who alone can make me holy, who alone can give me the kind of qualities and attributes to live an extraordinary kind of a life. And I never want to forget that. I don't want to do holy like the, like the Pharisees, I truly want to be a holy man because there's a difference. I want to be set apart for God's exclusive use and then walk through this life daily trying to become more and emulate more of Christ within me. Rubbing shoulders with people like Jesus rubbed shoulders with. Every church that is an effective and prevailing church must have people who live like this. They're full of, of holy distinctive living people who live right in the middle of the middle of their culture just like Jesus did and that's what we must be here at High Point Assembly if we truly desire for God to use us and if we truly desire a harvest of souls to come our way through this community well here's the second thing that we we see that marked this church they had a, a passionate faith look at verse 4 there must have been something pretty special about the faith of the Colossians because Paul says this, because we have heard of your what? Your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Then in verse 5, he continues. He said, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you already heard in the true message of the gospel. You don't hear that said about too many churches, do you? When you hear things about other churches, you, you seldom hear about their faith. No, you hear about their music. You hear about their programs, their outreach, and so on. But Paul highlights it here because evidently this was a group of people that Paul sated with a passionate kind of a faith. 
When I think of the contributing, the greatest contributing factors that, that, that bring life and growth and vitality to this church called High Point, and I know you look around right now and you go, this is vitality? I mean, we're, <laughs> we don't even have half of our people coming back to church services yet. But I know they're watching online. And I've gotten letters from many of them encouraging me and saying, we're with you. We're just not with you in person. We will be with you soon. We are still a vital church. There is still vitality here. There is life and there is growth among our people. I realize when, when, I, when I wonder why that continues to happen, I can only realize it's because the Spirit of God is living alive and well in the people of our church. We have people who pray and who are available who sacrifice and serve with generosity, and they serve with passion, and they worship, and they surrender with great faith. We have people who, 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 are, who listen to others. They have a dynamic kind of a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered existence. And churches that do things, that are going places, are filled with people like that, fully surrendered, who possess a passionate faith, for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always about the hand of God moving through the lives of the people of a church in order for a church to move forward and to grow and to be vibrant and to do great things within a community. This is how and why God works within any church for that matter. Now certainly strategies and plans and, and programs are important, but even more important is the spiritual passion of those within the body. It's about the many people in this place who pray all the time for other people in this place. People who volunteer and serve hour after hour just to make services and ministry happen. It's about people who give of their time and who give of their leadership and who give of their resources to help people who are in need. It's about the passionate faith that stirs the heart of many of our children and our youth and our young adults. It's about the many people who attend Celebrate Recovery and through the power of the Holy Spirit find that, that, that they've been delivered from the bondage of hang-ups and hurts and, and addictions and strongholds. And when that happens, then they turn around and start ministering to those who are in the same place that they were. It's about people who take risks in the name of Jesus Christ. It's always about the hand of God moving in the passionate lives of his people. Because passionate faith is what makes any church pulsate with an energy and a vitality. There should be continuous joy within the church. And if you love Jesus Christ, and if you possess an authentic faith, then it ought to flow out of you. It should just be a natural thing that happens in you. If we are passionate about our faith, then let's just show up and let's be passionate about our faith, not just in this building, but outside of here. If Jesus is the love of your life, then you need to let people know about that. Because when people see passionate love lived out in you, they are drawn to Christ. Churches that make a difference are marked by people whose lives have been changed and who live a passionate existence for their Lord and Savior. But there's a third thing that we see that marked the people in this church in Colossae. They had an inclusive kind of a love. See what else is said here in verse 4. He says to them, and the love you have for all God's people. This wasn't a church of a bunch of cliques where you had to meet a certain criteria in order to be in or out. This church had an inclusive, all-encompassing, equal opportunity kind of a love. 
A church with arms around each other, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were wounded or whether they were healed, whether they were hurting or whether they were whole. When it comes to love, this church was the real deal. In fact, in verse 8, you see what he calls it? He said, your love in the Spirit. This is not some generic brand X kind of a love. This is a real kind of a love, a powerful, a supernatural, an unconditional, a godlike love that was flowing out of this church. In Romans chapter 12, 9, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, the Christians in Rome, and I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, don't just pretend you love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, and stand on the side of good. Remember what Jesus said? He said, by this, you, the world will know that you are my disciples. By what? By our love that we have for one another. So during this study, I hope that all of us will be painfully honest with ourselves and ask God some questions. God, how inclusive is my love? God, please point out any prejudice that might exist in my heart, any hint of a judgmental spirit inside of me. God, do I really think that maybe I am better than somebody else? If so, I need you to show me that. Do I think maybe that I'm so spiritually superior that I can't receive from someone else? Do I think I'm superior because I have less problems or I have a better job or I drive a nicer car? or I've been saved longer than most other people, or I have a higher IQ. God, just point those things out to me because I don't want to live like that. I want my love to grow during this series, and I want my love to be an inclusive love to all people. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Just to let you know, the sitting at the feet, they, they met in homes. There wasn't a lot of room. People would sit in chairs. People would sit on the floor. So the reference he's making there is if you, you take a person that's well off and you put them in the finest seat and you tell the guy who's not to sit on the floor when you could have told the guy with the, with the gold on him to sit on the floor, but you didn't. That's what he's talking about here. Evidently, this church in Colossae refused to, to discriminate or to segregate their people. They refused to judge. They refused to prioritize. They refused to exclude. And instead, they allowed the Holy Spirit to produce in them this wonderful, inclusive kind of love. You see, there's a deep longing in the heart of every human being. There's, there's so many people that just want to be included in this world. I read a survey that was conducted just in March of non-believers, and get this, 21.5% of those surveyed are now seeking God because of this pandemic. And some of them are seeking God for the very first time in their life. Do you understand what kind of a mission field that is out there? People are hungry for the things of God. And that's why it's important that we do what God has called us to do and we start reaching out to them in a personal 
kind of a way because that's the only way they're going to get it because people aren't gathering together now. People need us to come around them and to wrap our arms around them and they need to be pulled in. You see, there are people in the real world and even in the church who are facing pretty traumatic marriage problems right now and they just need to be loved. There are people in the real world and in the church who are struggling to maintain sobriety for one more day and they need to be loved. There are people in the real world and in the church struggling to hang on to some kind of emotional equilibrium and they just need to be loved. There are single people in the world and in the church, divorced people, widowed people, who see people in the church surrounded by family and they long that for themselves and they have a struggle with that, to just hang on. And they need to be loved. They need to be included in our families. There are parents in the real world and in the church who struggle every day with the disappointment of a prodigal son or daughter. And they just need someone to come alongside of them and to encourage them and to pray with them and to include them. They need to be loved. There are kids in the real world who are, are struggling to survive every day from every form of abuse you could imagine, from malnutrition, from a lack of any kind of affection or attention, and they desperately need to be loved. There are young people in the real world and in the church struggling for a reason to maintain hope, and they need us to love them. There are people in the real world and in the church struggling to hang on to their house and their car and their business for just one more month. And they need to be included. And they need for us to love on them. Ladies and gentlemen of High Point, the church must always be an inclusive trauma center for the wounded people that surround us in this community. We can never afford to take on the, the attitude, well, you made your bed and now you got to lie in it. We cannot look down on people for poor decisions they've made because they're but for the grace of God go us. We did the same thing before we met Christ. We made poor decisions. We must be a people who extend an inclusive kind of love to anybody, no matter what their circumstances are. Well, here's another mark or characteristic that we see in verse 5 where Paul talks about the word of truth. Colossians 1, 6, look at what he says speaking about the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The church in Colossae was marked by a people who understood that they needed to renew their minds with the life-changing Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It is, it is powerful, and the gospel message is not just powerful, but it is so simple. When the truth of the gospel is communicated in an understandable way and in a culturally relevant way, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he died for our sins, he was buried, he arose three days later, and we can be saved through his shed blood as it atones for our sin, and we too can live eternally in his presence when our time on this earth is done, lives are radically changed. When, when the people of God simply lift up the name of Jesus, people are changed. The simple gospel message is that we were once all in trouble. You ever been there? Yes. And, and God made a way for us. 
And when that is shared with other people in a personal way, it changes people's lives. He came down here. He gave his life on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. He conquered death. And now we can live forever. It's a simple message, but it is one that is chock full of power. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what? I will draw all men unto myself. You know, I try my very best to present the scriptures in a way, in a very clear way, in order for people to understand, in order for people to grasp. I try my best to preach the truth from the word of God and offer you ways to show you how it might apply to your daily life here in the 21st century. And I believe as a church that we individually have to be motivated to figure out how to connect the secular mind with the truth that they are looking for and that they so desperately need. As a church and as people within the church, we need to be creative and we need to be flexible so that God can use us to connect with the unconnected, unchurched people of our community. Because it's not about us anymore. We really need to get that through our minds. Yes, we come together to worship. Yes, we come together to grow, to hear the word of God. Our focus now has to go from us to those out there. We've already been saved. They have not. And they are in desperate need of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about them. And so we must be loving. And we must be relevant. And we must be current. And we must be creative because this will gain us a listening ear. But when you love them, you earn that ear. Do you get that? When we love people, all of a sudden now they are open, up, open to what you have to share with them. Make no mistake about it. It's the dynamic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. That was what was happening in this church in Colossae. And it's what's happening today all over the world. Wherever the gospel message is being preached and boldly proclaimed and then embraced and then applied to people's lives, people's lives are changing. And speaking of change, I was reading some statistics on research between the differences of lifestyles of Christians versus non-Christians in the United States of America. And sadly, in some areas, there is not a whole lot of difference particularly when it comes to the divorce rate, particularly when it comes to the use of pornography, even abuse, if you can believe that. And I'm thinking to myself, this should just not be. How can this be? And as we talk about our Christian identity and how that some people aren't walking in that new identity, I've come to realize that for many of us in the church, we've come to Christ, we've become a Christian, but we've never allowed the Holy Spirit of God to transform us by the renewing of our mind. You see, when you become a Christ follower, there isn't some delete button that God pushes and all of a sudden, boom, your mind is renewed. You gotta strip out, scrape out that old wallpaper that's lined your brain. And you've gotta apply that new wallpaper of Christ Jesus from the word of God. And as you renew your mind, it transforms you into a distinctive, loving, on fire, passionate believer of Jesus Christ. So every one of us has to renew our mind in the written word of God. That means that you read the truth, you know the truth, you memorize the truth, and then you apply that truth to your daily living. You take every thought captive and you make it obedient 
to Christ. You run your mind through the process of what Philippians 4, 8 says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you say to yourself, is that thought I just had right? Is that thought I just had good? Is that thought lovely? Is that thing that I'm thinking about, is that true? If not, then you refuse to think about it. And even more so, you refuse to speak it. But you use the word of God to, to transform your life through the renewing of your mind. I wanna throw out a challenge to all of you today. During this series, I want you to really consider spending some time in this book of Colossians. Please don't just show up here on Sunday and go to the book when I say let's go to it. I'd really like you to study this book over these next several weeks. It's only four chapters with 95 verses and it is loaded with stuff that will be beneficial to you. And you need to read it over and over and over again. It's a good thing. It's what the Bible calls meditation if you do it properly. Biblical meditation is meditating on God's word by reading it over and over again. And as you read through Colossians, I would like you to take the time to, to write down, God, is this what you're saying to me? As, as the Holy Spirit convicts you or brings something to your attention, make note of that. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other, but make note of it and start working towards it. I want to challenge you every week to sit down and, and, and write down one of the verses from Colossians that maybe jumps off the page to you and say, that's one that I'm going to tuck into my heart. That's one that I'm going to memorize this week. That's one that I am going to really live for this week. And as you do that, I guarantee you that the, the dynamic work of God will start to change your life. It will start to transform your mind. So churches like this one in Colossae are full of people who live a distinctive lifestyle of holiness. They have a passionate faith. They are inclusive with their love. They renew their minds with the life-changing word of God. And that leads to the fifth characteristic that marked these people. They clinged to a living hope. That's what motivated the church. I mean, where does the faith of the Colossians come from? Look at what it says in verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Let me just say this morning that heaven motivates me. Heaven is the goal. Heaven is the prize. And these people lived with a sense of awe that said, we can't wait to go there. But they also said, we want to take as many people there with us as we can. Paul once wrote to the church in Corinth, he said that when difficulties that we're going through right now, he said, are light and momentary troubles. And then Peter wrote about the tough times that we go through when he said they're just for a little while. Paul also said in Rome, he said, we share in Christ's sufferings, but we also share in his glory. And we can never forget that. We can never forget that sometimes life is difficult. Because we've talked about that for the last several weeks, but someday soon, we are going to share in Christ's glory. Here, we will work hard, but then we will rest. Here, we will take some hard hits, but then we will find healing. Here, we will experience loss, 
but then we will receive more than we could ever imagine or believe. Here we will struggle with answers, but then we will know completely. Here we will endure disease and disappointment, and then we will watch all of that one day completely disappear. Here we will courageously tell others about Jesus Christ, but one day we will be sitting with Jesus Christ in heaven. Eternity motivates me. I can't wait to go there, and I anticipate that day. And it's really no shock, because Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3.10, he has also set eternity in the human heart, that he is God. Listen, it doesn't take a wise man to figure out that people long for more than what we have on this earth. The heart simply yearns for more. When a person that you loved for 20 years does a, does a 180 and walks out the door, I think it's pretty safe to say that you long for another place. When we hear of an associate at the Walmart distribution center being gunned down in cold blood, our soul longs for another place. Our minds desperately reach for more when modern medicine still can't keep our loved ones from dying from cancer and from heart disease. It's hard to feel home here on this earth sometimes. Do you know what? That's okay. It was Augustine who said this, the only ultimate disaster that can befall us is to feel ourselves to be at home on this earth. That's why God points us heavenward. That's why God always points us to our real home. We're strangers here. We're visitors here with a visa. We were not intended to stay here forever. I love how the Message Bible translates 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. It talks about how living here feels like we are in exile from our real home. Look at the way it's written. It says, we've been given a glimpse of the real thing. Our true home, our resurrection body, the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. Isn't that good? I love the way that, that's written. That's why we live still with good cheer. That's why we refuse to lower our heads and drag our feet around when we're going through difficulties. That's what we trust in, but what we don't yet see, and that's what keeps us going. Do you think that a few ruts along the road or a few rocks on the path are gonna stop us on our journey to our heavenly home? When the time comes, we will be more than ready to exchange our time exiled on this earth with a homecoming to our heavenly home. But you know what? Neither one of those is really what matters right now. What matters now, and the main thing, is that we live a life that, that honors God, that we live a life that pleases Him, that we live a life that draws other, others to who He is. I'm bound and I'm motivated by eternity, but when I say that, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm ready to check out early and to go there. But I'm motivated by the love of God. I'm motivated by His purposes for my life personally, and I'm motivated by His purposes for this body of believers called High Point Assembly. No matter what challenges we face, the hope of heaven is there. 
and it will always be there. When God decides to call us home, we will be there. But until that day, we've got to learn to rest in his grace, to allow his strength to be sufficient for us every day of our existence. We need to live in deep dependence upon our Heavenly Father, no matter what circumstances come into our lives. Never give up your hope. It is that hope that compels us and it drives us to holiness and to become more like God's Son, Jesus. It's essential, and a song we haven't sang in a long time, it's essential that we understand and grasp how high, how wide, how long, and how deep the love of God is for all of us. Our identity in Christ Jesus is all about daily living out God's purposes within us. So no matter how tough life may get, no matter how many challenges you and I might face, his grace will always be enough for us. Please, will you come forward, Scott, and help me to close this down. My desire for this series is for all of us to become like those people in that early New Testament church of Colossae. For all of us who call this place our church home, to look deep inside and to ask ourselves a very difficult question. It's a tough question to ask. Am I living the kind of life that if others really sat back and observed that they would desire this kind of life for themselves? And if we can't answer that question with an affirmative, then we're really not walking in our new identity as a follower of Jesus. So if you're not living a distinctive lifestyle of holiness, and if, and if you're not living with a passionate kind of a faith, if you're being selective with your love and you're not being inclusive, if you haven't been spending any time renewing your mind through the written word of God, and if you haven't been clinging to a life-giving hope, and instead you're clinging to the hope of the things of this world, God is here this morning and he can change your priorities and he can change your thinking and he can even change your actions through the power of the Holy Spirit. He can help every one of us to live securely and boldly in each one of those areas. And I believe he's calling out to each and every one of us today. He's calling for us to start living like the children of the King. We are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we need to quit tucking our tails and we need to walk in a boldness for who we are and what our identity in Christ is. God is calling us to action today. He's asking for us to consider our life, to consider our life and our identity that we have been graciously given through the work of Jesus on the cross. And he's challenging us to determine if we are living up to these five characteristics that I've shared with you today. He wants us to reevaluate our identity and to determine if we are truly walking in that identity. And if you realize that you've got a ways to go, that's okay, join the crowd. But he is faithful to strengthen us to take that next step 
to become closer to him, to become more like Jesus. And you know something? If you realize that maybe your identity has not been about Christ, maybe you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online, you realize that you don't like the identity that you're living in and you want a new one. Well, God is here to give you a fresh start. Salvation is so simple. The Bible says you've got to believe and you've got to confess. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He showed us the love of the Father. He healed and he loved. And he died on a cross, a horrific death, a criminal's death, and he did nothing wrong. I love the old song that says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have ended it all like that, but he didn't. He finished his mission because it was his mission that gives us salvation. And so as you confess that you believe in who he is, and you say, Jesus, take my sin, cover it with your blood, your sin is wiped away. And as I said earlier, the old is gone, and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna pray in just a minute. And when I pray, I don't want you to just hear to my words, I want you to pray your own words. And if you need Jesus this morning, just pray a simple prayer of belief, of confession. Ask him to become the Lord of your life and he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you can start in a new life. And if you're already a believer and maybe you're not happy with where you're measuring up on those five standards that that church in Colossae were doing, he is here. Don't leave today without reaching out to him. Tell the Lord that you need help. Tell the Lord that you need his strength. You need to see people differently. You need to react and respond differently. That should be a prayer of all of us, including your pastor. We are, none of us are exempt from this. None of us fall in those categories perfectly well. We may excel in some, and we may fall far short in others. But the purpose of these characteristics is that we would want to be like that. That should be our goal. That should be how we live our life. And so we reach out to God and through the power of his spirit, because we can't do this in our flesh. We can't do this on our own. It requires the strength of the Holy Spirit that indwells us as followers of Christ. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Precious Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. So full of things that we need to know things that we need to experience in order to truly live the kind of God-honoring life that you desire from us. I thank you for my church family and for those who have taken the time to tune in online and those who have come here in person. And Lord, I know that they desperately need you in their lives, just like I do. And Father, I also know that just like me, they fall short in areas. And God, we realize we will never be like you, but yet we strive to become like you. So I ask through the power of your spirit, that you strengthen us and you guide our steps and you guide our thoughts and our minds to be the kind of minds that they want to love, they want to, to have a passionate kind of faith, they want to be inclusive in, 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 in our love and, and we want, who want to renew our minds through the word of God and who want to cling to this living hope, that that would be what drives us and motivates us every day of our life. So Father, we pray for more of you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to these people, to this church in a new and exciting way. That you would remind us of the things that you have called us to do. And that we would do those things. 
even in this pandemic, even with the restrictions that are on us, that we would speak words of love and truth to those who desperately need to hear it. That we would wrap our arms around those who are broken and give them a much needed hug and encouragement and pray for them. That we would invite them to come into the house of God and hear the word of truth, that it might transform their life as well. God, I guess what I'm praying is let us not forget that we are to live for today and we are to live doing the things that you've asked us to do. Let us not get caught up in what we can't do right now, but let us get caught up in what we can do to further your kingdom and to allow you to do a greater work within us. Because I truly believe it's when we step out in faith and we take risks in the name of Jesus that our mindset completely gets transformed. And many of the things that we wonder and worry about are displaced by the fact that we did something that you asked us to do. Let that be our heart's cry. And Father, as we leave this place today, and as we go about our separate lives, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the conversations that we have, the things that we do, the things that we speak about, that they would bring glory and honor to your name, that they would be words that would lift up and not tear down, that they would be words that would bring life and not negativity. That's our heart's cry, and I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to do that. And I especially ask until we meet together again that you would keep us safe, that your angels would put their rings around us and protect us, keep us safe from this, this virus, keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us. But Lord, help us to always be looking heavenward to, to you, to the giver of life, the one who gives us all things in abundance. We thank you for this time together. I ask your blessings upon my church family, both those in this building and those that are watching online. I ask you to bless them and their families today. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.